Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week, we are going to be reviewing Golem, which is by the Italian Design Group, so you already know that we're probably going to like it. And then in the discussion topic, we are actually going to be continuing on with part two in our heavy Euro game series, I guess, kind of. We're having our buddy Adin back on, and he's going to be sharing with us his top 10 heavy Euro games. Okay, but we need to pause for a minute. Have you heard the news? So we're recording this May 30th, so a week before this comes out. Days of Wonder just made a major announcement. They teased it a couple days ago. They teased it saying that they had a new game coming out by Alan Moon, Rob Davio, and Matt Leacock. So everyone's like, it's going to be Ticket to Ride Legacy. It's going to be Ticket to Ride Legacy. It's got to be, right? It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. They just said today it is a legacy game, Legends of the West. I am so excited for this. It's not coming out until November. Oh, my God. I want to play it today. I want it. It, it. it looks so cool. It so shows some like a map made out of puzzle pieces. So you don't see the whole thing. Uh, get trains in there. Plays two to five. Going to be historical kind of made up history. I don't know. What, what do you mean historical made up history? That doesn't make any sort of sense. Um, I read the article, but I skimmed it really fast. Obviously, that's that's <laughs> like you in the rule book. There was some really helpful information in there. You should totally read it. If you want to know more about the game, just read the actual thing that they put out for. Man, this... A 12-game yeah. campaign, and at the end, you'll have a unique copy that you can continue playing, which I don't mm, think about that. Yeah, I don't know if I would... I mean, maybe. Maybe I'll do it. Unlikely. I wonder Unlikely, if it's going to yeah. have anything to do with like the great, um, you know, like expanding the trains from the East Coast all the way over to the West Coast. That's probably it. Looks like it because it just yeah. shows us the East Coast here. The puzzle pieces. I don't know how I feel about puzzle pieces, but you know what? I don't care. Whatever. It's Ticket to Ride Legacy. Dang. Yeah, I I I don't care. Like I I the fact that it's playable after the legacy to me is is moot. Like I probably will never play it. Um, yeah, but especially if it's a puzzle piece. But we'll see. Maybe it's just maybe it's just the advertisement not showing us things. The the best part is uh, getting into this podcast. Natasha's like, "Hey, did you hear about Ticket to Ride?" And I was like, "No," because over like I haven't. It was Memorial Day weekend in the states, so like I was just kind of doing stuff with my family. So, oh man, I'm just, yeah, give give me the game. Give me the game. Like, I don't I even know if I'm going to read anything on it. You know, I don't even know if I want to, like, listen to any reviews. I think I just want to play it. Yeah, I'm going to play it regardless. I can't imagine it'll be bad. There's no way. Like, the, I mean, the team that's putting this together has not missed, right? You will embark on a journey across 12 games, managing your own North American railroad, well, Railway company to wealth and fortune in a campaign full of adventures. Completing your tickets will remain your primary goal, but you'll also need to develop other skills. Unexpected events, resourceful rivals. You will continuously fill your vault with earnings game after game. New rules. I bet you there'll be like a lot of expansions or something in there. Yeah, they're probably, they'll, they'll probably include something like that would be my guess. But it's North America, so the expansions really for Ticket to Ride have been different maps, you know, with with additional rules and stuff. So yeah, we'll see. I'm excited. I'm in. I'm all in. Yeah, sign me up. Take my take that uh, meme of uh, what's his money. name from Futurama. Take my <laughs> money. Take my money. 
Um, Facts. I got Max um, Clank Legacy uh, for his birthday in May. And so we just started that this weekend. We played two games so far. And man, is it good. It's really good. I'm excited to play it. It's it's a little it's a little different than like Pandemic Legacy because Pandemic is a cooperative game. This is not. This is a competitive game. And there's a lot of reading. There's a lot of story in, in this ga- um, game. And mm-hmm. there's like a book of secrets. It's a really thick book. And so anytime like you hit these waypoints, they're called, which happens you have to do them at the beginning of the game, at the end of the game, throughout the game. If you hit, go to certain areas on the board, you you hit them. If you complete certain objectives, you hit them. So like you read them like four or five times each game so far. And so you have to read this little bit of text, which gives you some which gives you a little storyline and then you've got options to choose from or maybe things to take out. Sometimes it'll say like you, you've entered this building. Do you want to explore the building? Do you want to run away or do you want to explore the barn? You know, something like that. And so you choose. And then based on what you choose, you go to another one. I think you'd really like it, Bob. Yeah. It sounds like it's right up my alley. That's one of those games that I've, I've wanted to get to the table, but for some reason I thought, two players not where it's really going to shine you know but probably be better at four because you'll you'll end up doing more you know or max right, and i right, right. we're we're just not hitting a lot of those you know because there's only two of us but the play is fine you know i mean the play is fine at two it's just you'd probably get more out of the legacy campaign part of it with more players but the but it pushes you along if you don't complete these contracts by certain games then it like kind of forces you along you read you end up reading a different passage where you know they've like let you continue on you know just like you had done that object you just do it a little differently or maybe take a penalty or something sure it's, it's kind of funny it's in acquisitions incorporated so you're a corporation you're working for this corporation trying to like collect artifacts and stuff and it, it's it's really good like i i liked can't clank fine it's not my favorite game um, I love, you know, I like deck building, but this is a little, little deck building plus because it's got different, there's three different resources on the cards. You've got your skill, which lets you buy more cards. You've got your boots, which lets you travel through the map. And then you've got swords, which lets you fight off these monsters that come up. So you've got a lot going on. The whole point of clank is you go out, you collect artifacts, you try to get the most points within artifacts and other things throughout the game, coins and whatnot. Fighting monsters will get you some coins and points. Um, collecting cards will get you points. And then you have to get back to headquarters by the end of the game. And that's what they call it in this game, at least headquarters. I don't know what they call it in the rest of the games. But so you have to get back. If you don't get back in time, then you can completely lose. Or you just don't get as many points depending on where you end up. So the, the game is fine. But man, the there's a lot of text in the legacy. That's the only downfall. Because I don't like to like pause and read a bunch of text. But they're all short. So it's fine. And the story is interesting. It's kind of funny, and you're working for this corporation. And are you familiar with what Acquisition Incorporated is? No. So it's like a D and D thing. So oh. I, I I believe it. So it's a it's a set of people, and they've been doing this. Man, if I remember correctly, they've been doing it a little while. But like D and D has even released a book. You know, within that realm, they they'll do. Uh, convention specials and different things like that like it's a pretty big thing it's an animated series too so it uh it's yeah i'm i'm surprised you didn't know actually i'm not i'm not at all (laughs) 
it's D and D. I didn't know, but anyways, yeah, fair. I fair. I like it. I so far I really like it. it. It's got um, it's got a a folder with all these stickers that you're taking out and adding. That's a little fiddly because you got to take out the correct uh sticker page and then find the sticker. But it's fun. Like that's all fun. And there's boxes of components and tokens that you're opening up and adding to the game. And we've done a lot in just the two games, so I'm excited to play through that. Yeah, I kind of wish I would be playing that game with you guys, but that's besides the point. I would 100% play it with you as well. Like, I won't even mind playing two games at the same time because I think it'll be just be different. Like, it's not going to spoil it. I'm not going to be better at it because of I know what's going on, I don't think, so far at least. Um, but, you know, like, if you and I played it, we'd make totally different choices than what Max and I. And, and whoever gets there gets to make the choices, too. So, you know, if I get to the spot, then that's my activity then i'm making the choice sure yep so it's it's kind of different like i you know I'm, I'm curious to see how different it would be playing it with a different group I'll, I'll keep you updated how much we like it oh i'm sure you will i'm sure i'll hear all about how much fun you're having how about let's get into a review let's review a game how about that oh bob's just bitter now huh? a game a game you you know how i love legacy games let's review a game we've both played how about that all right let's talk about Gollum. This is designed by your Italian design team. The art is by Roberto Grasso, and it's published here by Cranio Creations. So Gollum is a heavy action drafting game. The game is based on 16th century legend of the Gollum of Prague, a creature that Rabbi Lau animated from clay, um, from a clay statue to protect his people. So in the game, you take on the roles of a, of a rabbi who created and grew these golems that are going to move through around the city in the neighborhoods of Prague under the control of the students. Uh, so there are three different things you can focus on in this game, and they coordinate with the three different districts on the main board. So the first is the study developments. As you move up the study track, you'll earn knowledge each round. You can spend your knowledge collecting book cards that will each give you an immediate bonus and an active bonus. Whenever you collect another book of the same color, you then get all of the active bonus. You can then get that active bonus again, and they continue adding up. Then there's the golem developments. This is where you'll spend clay to build more golems. Last, you have the artifact developments. As you collect gold bars, you'll be able to activate your own unique artifacts. And there are four on each player board, and they are drafted at the beginning of the game. So they're a little, everyone has different abilities there. Artifacts are all just going to give you income at the end of each round. At the beginning of each round, the players are going to shuffle up these colored marbles into the 3D synagogue that will split them into five different lines corresponding to the five different main actions available in the game. So um, there's three actions. The, the main three actions all relate to those three things I just talked about. So one of them, the golem one, you'll obtain clay. So let's say you decide to do that action and there are three marbles in that row. You would grab one of the marbles, you can pick whatever one you want, and you would get three clay because there's three marbles. And then you can do an upgrade within the golem section of the board, and you can build a golem. So those three three things you'll get. You'll get clay, you get an upgrade, you get to build a golem. Same thing for the artifacts and the spell one. So the artifacts relate to the gold, so you'll obtain gold, and then you can spend your gold, sorry, you'll obtain coins, and then you can spend your coins to get gold bars that you can use to activate your artifacts um then you can also upgrade you spend coins to upgrade any of the artifact um any of the spots in the artifact section of the board and then the spells is that's where you obtain knowledge so let's say there's three 
marbles in the spell section, then you would get three knowledge. If there was two, you'd only get two. Then you'd get you'd get your knowledge. Then you could perform your spells, which is which is basically um, which is which is collecting those books. So you'll spend your artifacts to collect the books. You'll get that immediate bonus, and you'll get your active bonus along with any active bonuses you've already gotten of the matching book color. Then you can also upgrade a knowledge section of the board. So those are the three main actions you can do. The other one uh, is you can make your golems work. So you'll pay knowledge to make, you can make one or up to five of your golems work. They'll cost more knowledge each, each one you want to work. And when they work, they basically just do whatever section of the board they're on. They'll do that um, action. So whatever it says, maybe it gains you something, maybe it lets you do a, an action that costs less money, some kind of benefit, maybe get victory points, whatever your golem is at, you'll be able to choose whichever one you want. Maybe all of them, if you have enough income or have enough knowledge, sorry, then make them work. And then the last one is, is called mirror. And basically it lets you do any of the other four, but if there's like four, let's say there's four marbles in the mirror section, you pay a gold coin and you would then be able to do any of the other actions at a four marble. So whatever, however many marbles there are in that section. Get to do them. So you choose you choose one of those five different actions to do, and you get to do this twice in a game, so you'll end up with two marbles. And then another action you can do is put your rabbi out. And that's like a worker placement spot, and that'll determine turn order. And that will also get you in a special ability. And you can do, so you need to do, there'll be three for each round, two marbles, and your rabbi. And you can choose whatever order you want to do them in. So then at the end of the game, you're going to get both, points based on those three sections of the board so you have an opportunity to put out four additional golems you collect four artifacts and or four um, upgrades in each book column and then you'll be collecting these menorahs that match them so the red menorahs match the golems the blue match the art uh blue matches the book tracks and then the yellow matches the artifacts so let's say i get five red menorahs and i put all four of my golems out i would do five times four i'd get 20 victory points if I put three artif- I got three artifacts and I've got six menorahs, so now I've got 18 victory points in that section. Same with the, the books. You'll get points for that. You'll have collected points throughout the game. And then you, you also have these objective cards that you've drafted at the beginning of the game. You know, they'll have random objectives, like maybe get four golems out or move your rabbi up this track to this length or get four, you know, eight pieces of gold, something like that. Whatever they are, you'll get points for those. And there's a little set collection there where if you get different types of them, you'll get points, additional points for that as well. So I think what I like about this game is I like the objective cards. So this is a very heavy game, I, but I think the objective cards help guide you through the game. So you're not totally lost. So like, okay, I drafted these objectives. I'm going to focus on these objectives. You've got kind of three things you can focus on. You're not going to be able to do all three of them. You're not going to be able to score high in all three of them. So you really want to focus on two of them. Maybe you want to get a lot of artifacts so that way you have a lot of um, income every time. And then you want to build a bunch of golems so you can do different things throughout the game. Golems will help you have more ability to, you can work them so you can get a lot of actions through there. Although if they get too far ahead of the track, if they go further than the students, then you'll lose control of them and you'll have to spend knowledge to keep them in check so they don't destroy the city and you lose victory points. Um, but you can also kill off your golems, you know, which is nice. So that way you don't have too many to manage um, because knowledge just can be hard to get if you're not trying to work up getting that knowledge track. So I like that there's three main things you focus on two, and those objective cards kind of lead you there. 
I think that's what I like about the game. What about you, Bob? Yeah. Um, this game is interesting because it kind of combines mechanics from two other games. And I'm going to, the other two games that I'm going to reference, it's almost like if those two games got together and had, you know, a child, it'd be this game. And that's Coimbra and Grand Austria Hotel. Oh, I never thought about Coimbra. Why is that? So the Coimbra aspect of it is picking the marbles color because the color matters. Oh, yes. I didn't talk on that at all. Yeah. So in the overview there, there's a, in each round, you're going to go through each round. There's going to be like a little bonus if you draft uh, marbles of specific colors. So the action selection mechanism is very similar to that in Grand Austria Hotel. Grand Austria Hotel, though, you roll six dice and then based on their pip values, you put them on there. Aside from the fact that the 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 pool of actions is only five, realistically, you don't actually need marbles to do this. You know, if you could do it with dice, essentially, and if you roll a six, just re-roll it, that sort of thing. Um, so that that portion of things, I think, is somewhat gimmicky with the marbles thrown down. It just it's a little it's a little odd. I don't mind it though because it it does represent the thing from. Grand Austria Hotel that I like, which is, you know, you pick a die and based on how many, you know, of how many die are in that column, that's how powerful the action is. Same thing in this. You mm-hmm. pick a you pick a marble. If there's four mar- marbles, your action is valued at four, whatever. And then the Coimbra aspect of it is the color in which you pull matters in twofold. One being when you Pull a color that corresponds to a track. For example, if you pull pull a blue marble, you are going to be able to move your student up the blue track, which helps when your golem starts getting further ahead. Because it's advantageous for you to move your golem further ahead in order to take the more lucrative actions, but you also need to make sure your scholar or your student is, you know, progressing forward as well. So you're not having to pay as much knowledge when the gap is really high. So the, pulling that marble of blue, you can move up the blue track, which is really good. And, you know, with those four rounds, if you draft the marbles that are the identical to those colors, then you get this special action at the end of the round, which can be actually really good. Very good. Yeah. So that's where I think those two things kind of come together. And the, it's a very small aspect of Coimbra. So it's like one of those things like, you know, Golem kind of looks more like Grand Austria Hotel than it does Coimbra. But it yeah. does it does it does give that little extra thing that you need to think about. And I think that's one of the things I really loved about Coimbra is it's this little extra you have to think about when you're getting dice. It's not as simple as, all right, I want to take this action. I'm going to grab a die. No, I'm going to take this action, but what color am I going to take? I can take the the color that matches the one that gives me the bonus and then I'll let me move up that track. But there's only two of those in the pool of dice. Or I could take the white die which is a wild, it'll match the goal. I'll be able to match the goal, no problem, but I can't move my student up, which is a huge yep. bummer because moving that student up is important. Or I could take the one and only black, which lets me move my student up two tracks. I get to pick whatever one I want, but it's not going to count towards that bonus. I'm not going to get that bonus at all. Right. And and I usually have always tried to get those bonuses, but this time, the last time we played, I didn't, and I tried to focus on like getting my student up, and and that helped too. And so I think... Either both of them are viable strategies, and I did like that decision and which color marble to take. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it just adds that little extra depth to a game that has some good choices in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I even remember this game we just played. I even said to myself, do I care about this end of round bonus? And I was like, no, I don't. I do not care about this at this particular moment. It's more important for me to move up this track or do this thing. Like that is more Mm -hmm. important to my overall game plan than, you know, getting that bonus, which again, like I said, it just, it offers that little extra decision space, which I think is, I think it's really good. You know, games that I like that do that, for example, Coimbra, the color of the dice matters. You know, we talked about like Pulsar, depending on wherever you draft your die, you're going to be moving up and down those different tracks, you know, whether it be the turn order track or whether it be the track that gives you those little um, energy cubes. So those little extra decisions when you're picking your actions, I think really enhances the game's choices. I agree. I I really like that decision of, of what marble to take, um, you know, and deciding if I want those those special bonuses. And sometimes I don't, or sometimes I just, they all cause gold, so I don't have any gold, so it doesn't matter. Anyways, might as well focus on what else I want. Getting that student up is huge because that gives you income and it also gives you more flexibility with your golem. You know, and I really like that decision. I also like, I like that you can kill off your golem because you kind of, your bonuses go get better as you go and then you get this you hit this point where like they kind of get weaker and so you want to get those golems off your board because ideally you only have one golem in each column because it costs a lot more to put a golem out in that same column you're already in you know unless you really want to work both those golems and get both those bonuses you know i like being able to kill off your golems i think that's fun doesn't doesn't become too hard to manage the more golems you have out there the more you're forced to move forward which is harder to keep keep your golems in line so i i like the decisions of like when to keep your golem and when to let them die i agree the the decision as to whether or not to keep your golems or when to you know you know destroy them that sort of thing and that's the thing destroying them is not necessarily a bad thing because a lot of times there's a little track on the bottom that when you kill off one of your golems you get a little extra boost in something you can get an extra couple knowledge you can get an extra couple clay whatever and then you don't have to worry about them getting out of control Exactly. And then you just, it's almost like resetting that track with a new golem. Yeah. I I like this game a lot, actually. It's heavy, it's meaty, but it's my type of heaviness. I think the reason why it doesn't overwhelm me is because of those objective cards that you have at the beginning of the game. Okay, I've got these objective cards. That's what I'm going to try to do throughout the game. That's my goal. And I'm going to pick these two columns to go, these two sections, the two out of the three. I'm going to focus on those, completing these. And I think, I think because it's, because it's a heavy game, but it, the game also helps me narrow down my focus. I don't find it overwhelming like I do a, a lot of the other heavier games. Sure, because it guides you. It guides you yeah. in a direction with those objective cards. It's not so like every turn you can do anything and you got to find this hidden um, way to score points. I think it's pretty transparent. Which let's I want to talk about the scoring cards for a little bit because if I said Coimbra and Grand Austria Hotel were the parents of this game. Uh, the Voyages of Marco Polo is its like first cousin because the <laughs> ob- objective cards, you get so many at the, to start the game. And then through the course of taking actions, you can acquire additional ones. And the more that you fulfill, the more points you can end up getting. It's, it's kind of like when you're traveling to the different cities in Voyages of Marco Polo, if you hit all your distinct four cities, you know, you're going to get an additional amount of points. So it it brings in that mechanic as well, 
which I really like because then it allows you to focus on a variety of different things and pushing forward and a couple a couple different things and you have some hidden points, which is always kind of nice because um, mm-hmm. people don't necessarily know how well you've done that sort of thing. So yeah, that like I said, that it's almost like they're combining a bunch of mechanics from all these games into this one game go- and golem. Yeah, I think that's true. My only complaint, and you touched on it a little bit, is the marbles. I I think it was. I mean, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it was intentional. The Okay, so the way this marble track is, you you manually put them in. You just drop them into this little track and they fall down in the one of five slots. But there's no, like, ton- funnel that funnels them in. So you basically, like, if you're not careful, you can put all the marbles on the right-hand side and then they all go to that side of the, you know, one of those three bottom slots. Or on the left side, they'll go to the top slots. You know what I mean? So you have to be, like, intentionally careful and the way i think that they've designed it is so that more marbles are going to fall in the center one which is gives you the gold then the two two inside ones which gives you the golem and the books and then the two outside ones which are which i think are would give you less marbles in there that's where you get your golems to work and then the wild one that's you do any of the other ones so i think that would be the benefit of the marbles so that they intentionally kind of fall into that that um maybe triangle shape there where you have more in the middle and less on the outsides because if you did dice they would be just totally random you know so that'd yeah. be my guess why you do the do the marbles but but it's manual so it's just a little funky I, I i don't know that i love the way that those marbles show up and you know they could because it ends up kind of being uniform across the board like you end up with like two or three marbles in every row so it's not that terribly interesting where you might have like five and one and one and another five and zero something like that it kind of just ends up being kind of uniform across the board which is kind of boring yeah i think instead of having the you know bell curve distribution of you know actions two three four getting more marbles than actions one and five i think i'd much rather have a random set of something rolled to get what that distribution is i think i'd rather have that that said there is only five actions there's not six there's no such thing as a five-sided die so it's not like they could do that it just yeah i the there's so many things about that action selection system that i like i like you know based on how many are in each column you're going to get a uh that's the strength of the action you know choosing which color to draft is going to you know benefit you in different ways it's good decisions with that it's just clunky taking those marbles and you like you said you're so intentional about trying to put them in the center so the distribution's well like you could just kind of throw them all into the side and get everything in like the five column or everything in the one column exactly like you said and it just doesn't i wish it was better i wish that part was better what you change it to, I don't know. Uh, again, maybe you get a sixth action, but what would that action be? Like, how does that change the game? Maybe five is just more than enough. And that fifth, really, there's only four actions. That fifth action is a mirror action. It just basically allows you to take one of the other actions. So it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, it's like the sixth spot in Grand Austria Hotel. You, you know, you pay a little bit of money and you get to do whatever action you want based on the strength in that column. It just... I wish there was a better system than the dice. And I'm and I don't know what that system looks like or what it would be, what it would entail. I don't know, but that's un- unfortunately with that, that's yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the marbles, but 
everything else about this game I really like. I really like the decisions that you're making. I really like, yep. you know, that they've kind of got it broken apart into three different different things that you can focus on. I like that you create these little golems and and you you think that a big part of the game is where your golems are on the board and making them work at these various different sites, but that's really a small part of the game. You don't end up doing that action very often, although you can trigger things that then allow the golems to work, which is kind of fun, you know, so you don't necessarily have to. This is very, very much their style of game where like you can take this action to make them work, or you can take this other action, which is going to give you this, which also lets them, you can do one work action. So you just have this many different ways of doing things. It's very, very much like their style of games where you can just do things a ton of different ways. Yeah, agreed. There, There's one other piece that I wish was better, and it's the the player boards are busy. And I say that because there's a there's a lot of spots on there that you can upgrade stuff, which is cool because at the end of the at the end of the game, my player board is going to look completely different than Natasha's. It's going to look different than Adine's. It's going to look different than Jeremy's. You know, everyone's upgraded their player board in some different way. It comes down to the final scoring when each thing is based off four. So it's off building the additional four golems. It's about getting the four artifacts. It's about those four column spaces for knowledge but the problem is there's a fifth column space for knowledge that gives you three menorahs okay but that doesn't count towards the four okay well when you build an artifact that's cool but then you have upgrades do those count towards it no it doesn't you know when you upgrade pieces of your golem it's almost like a little picture of a golem you're flipping over these tiles and you're getting that does it count towards that no it counts towards specifically the amount of golems there's it's not as intuitive and streamlined as it could be you know, I remember the first time I played it, I was going very much into knowledge. And at the end of the game, they're just like, all right, we're score this. And I was like, oh, that's how that scores. Whoops. And I lost out on a ton of points that first play because it didn't it didn't click right away. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The player boards are very busy. There's a lot going on. Um, it's a little unique in the way that the artifacts work, in the columns of the book track work. I found the the knowledge track really complicated to read. And then you have to remember you have to get up this book track in order to add more books. You've got to be up, you know, on this track. Otherwise, you can only... And I thought that was confusing to look at. Like, and, and that was like after multiple times playing the game because I hadn't played a game where I focused on the book track. So I didn't really, really pay attention to that until this last game. And then I tried to focus on that and I thought it was, it was just, it's very, it's a lot. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to keep track yep. of. Yep. And, um, you know, each time you play, you're going to have to like pay attention down to new things. And, and, and I think you can get there. It's no problem. Like you'll totally get there. You'll figure it out. No problem. But the, it's certainly a learning curve. Yeah. You might get caught that first time or in Natasha's case, this last time. You know, Natasha won the last game, but we all gave it a bit major asterisk because she ended up acquiring additional books when she didn't have the space to or the capacity to have that many books or whatever. So it just you try to you try to figure it out and you're going to make those types of mistakes, right? Like you're going to miss those mm-hmm. things because everything's so busy on the on the boards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think. I think it's very fiddly in that sense. Like you have to make sure that you're following all the rules. It's not very intuitive. You have to pay attention. You have to make sure you're doing things correctly. It's definitely got some fiddliness to it. But overall, I still really enjoyed the game. I th- I think it's worth the fiddliness of it. 
Um, I think once you get past it, it's a, it's very enjoyable. It's very unique. I think the theme is really good. Like I don't know of any other games that have a, a strong Jewish theme, and and that's unique, and I appreciate that. Um, I like that it it's got you know a little bit of um, Jewish lore in there, and and a li- there's a little bit to learn in there if you're not familiar with any of the Jewish symbolism. So that that's really neat. I like that. Uh, um, overall, I like the actions a lot. Uh, I like building the golems. I like I like a lot a lot about it. Um, I'm coming in at an eight, and the only reason it's that low is really the I don't love the the marble aspect of of it. I think if if they had cleaned that up just a little bit more, this would be in uh, one of my favorite games. Yeah, I'm going to come in at an eight and a half. I really, I really like this game. There's a lot of cool decisions in it, and it, you know, it piggybacks off some of the other mechanics from those other games that I really seem to enjoy. I and just like you, with if the marble thing was a little bit cleaner, if the player boards were slightly cleaner, if if those things were you know tightened up and more streamlined, this probably would be you know, a nine or a 10 and and I was teetering at a nine and I just, I think I have to come. I don't think it quite hits a nine for me. And again, it's, it's that marble Mm -hmm. aspect. It's just a little too clunky. I don't want to say fiddly. It's not fiddly. It's just clunky. And I really wish they would have done something different with it. Either way. I really love the game. I love the, the decisions within the game, you know, all those little things that are put together when do you do this? When you, you know, the timing mechanism of when you kill a golem, when you, you know, make them work, when you do these different things, like what, you know, colored marble are you going to take? Are you going to take the blue one to move up the blue track, to, but skip out on the, you know, end of round objective stuff? There's so many cool decisions in this. I think it's a really good game. All right. That's what we think about Gollum. Um, I think it's totally worth checking out. I would recommend it. If you like this design, this Italian design team, if you like heavier games, um, you're willing to put the the effort into learning and uh, mastering this game. And if you like the, the Jewish theme, I would recommend it. All right, that's Gollum. All right, that's going to wrap up the review that we're doing this week. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to continue talking about heavy Euro games. We're going to be joined with our friend Adine, and he's going to give us his top 10 heavy Euro games. All right, welcome back. Uh, this week, discussion topic, we are doing part two of our heavy punishing Euro game topic, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Yeah. What you say, Natasha? That's fair. Okay. Yeah. This is this is where we're going to get into the meat of the, the, um, the topic here, where we're going to get into some good games, according to Adine. But we wanted to introduce Adine first, because you need to know, before you uh, pick up these games and are interested in them, what he things are good heavy euro games and if you think that you'll align with him you have to you have to set your parameters of what makes a game a heavy euro game before you can actually give a list on heavy euro games right mm-hmm. uh, you gotta set the parameters so and you need to know you need to understand Nadine's taste so that you can understand are these games going to be ones that i like because if you vehemently disagree with him with what makes a heavy game what makes a heavy game enjoyable then you might not like this to me is a list of all games that I should actively avoid because I don't like being punished. I like to get things and be rewarded and enjoy my time. So these are all games that, you know, are probably not for me. 
I am curious to know throughout the course of the l- this list how many games you actually A, have either played or B, willing to play or C, don't want to have anything to do with. So I'm really curious where you're going to sit through this top 10 list. But we do have Adine back. Welcome back, Adine. Thanks for being here again. Yeah, thank you for having me again. Yeah, let's uh, let's hop right into it. Let's get into the top 10. Adine, what is your number 10 heavy Euro game? My number 10 heavy Euro game is Clinic. Oh. Um, have either of you played Clinic? I have not, but I, I own it, and I've, I've really yeah. wanted to get this game played. Well, we can definitely make that happen. Um, in Clinic, you are trying to run a hospital in every sense of the word. You're trying to take in new patients put them into their corresponding waiting rooms, hire the doctors, hire the nurses, have parking lots for all the cars that the nurses and doctors come in with. You have to build the hospital. You have to arrange the hospital. Ultimately, it is just a giant logic puzzle where you are the manager of a hospital. This game is is definitely heavy. So I like Clinic a lot for being a simulation. I'm a fan of simulations in terms of like video games as well. So I think this does a, a superb job at making me feel like I'm doing something in relation to a hospital. Uh, I think it's hilarious that you actually have to keep track of the cars for the nurses and the doctors in the parking lot of your hospital. And that's probably the number one thing that people curse to the skies doing in this game is trying to build a building or an addition to their hospital, but not being able to because a car is in the way <sighs> and you can't move the car until the doctor or nurse leaves or the patient leaves. The patients also have cards, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a lot of fun. I think this is probably the least interactive game on this list. And I don't say that in a bad way. I think you could play this solo and get everything out of it that you wanted to. It's just that sort of, it's really a boiled down puzzle. When I was describing punishing games as being sort of like puzzles or why I like board games being similar to puzzles, Clinic is a puzzle. You know, I never see people playing this game. It's it's older, 2014. Maybe that's why. It came out with a deluxe edition, I think, in 2019. 2018, 2019. Yeah. Okay. I have the the deluxe edition and I've been wanting to get it played. It's just it's been sitting on the shelf and like it just keeps getting like pushed off to the back burner, but yeah, everything you said is the reason why I want to play this game. The fact that you're having to manage the traffic at your hospital it's just, it feels very much, you know, you're the head person of the hospital and you're taking care of every piece of it. It just, yeah, everything about it sounds cool. And I've been wanting to play it, but it just, it keeps getting thrown to the back burner because new things just keep like knocking it out of its place. But I've, I've really wanted to play it and I really want to review it on this podcast. So yeah, I, li- I like the theme of it. I think the theme looks really interesting. You don't see a lot of hospital themed games that are heavy. They're more lighter games. And Ian O'Toole artwork, and we know how good Ian O'Toole's artwork is. So, yeah, yeah good pick. Uh, so then my number nine heavy game would be Anachrony. Ooh, um, okay. I own the Infinity Box for that thing. It takes up an entire shelf by itself. It does. I, I own the Infinity Box as well. So I'm two for two in terms of these are actually decent games. You're hey for me. You're batting a thousand, bro. Yes, you're good. Oh, perfect. Well, perfect. that yeah. doesn't mean anything because Bob actually hasn't played Clinic. <laughs> I know I have not played Clinic, but it looks awesome. And when I went through my mega purge of games, it stayed. So <laughs> I'm just saying. Even unplayed. Have you guys played Anachrony? Yes, I have. I have not. 
So Anachrony is the Mind Clash people. Yep. They do they try to do thematic ish heavy euros. So they've done Tricarion, they've done Anachrony, they've done Perseverance, Cere- Cerebral, Cerebrium, Cerebrium, Cerebria, Cerebria, Cerebria. Yeah. yeah. Either way, Anachrony is about uh, it's a worker placement game, and it has time travel as a core mechanism. The worker placement is pretty uh, bare bones in the sense that you're taking workers and putting them on spots. No one can go there. You collect things, but there's a time travel. There's a time travel uh, flavor around it where you can borrow resources from yourself in the future. So ultimately, it's a loan where you know you have to repay it at some point. But it works out very thematically here, where you're asking future self for one purple cube, and in the future, at some point, you're going to have to be that future you that sent you the purple cube back. So basically, again, it's a loan. You have to pay yourself back. I think that's a fascinating part about that game. I think it's. Uh, probably why it rises on a list like this for me. Everything else is kind of, it feels generic. You earn resources, trade them in, get things. But that time travel really adds a flavor to it that you don't get out of other games, I don't think. Well, and there's it, the worker placement aspect is a little bit different too, just because if you're going to take, you know, actions on the main board, you have to power up your suits, but you power up your suits before you're doing actions. So you have to do some planning of all right which action spaces am i going to try to go to if somebody takes it am i wasting you know powering up this this unit to take this thing and now all of a sudden i can't you know use it now you're just wasting resources which you can't really do in this game because there's going to be a time where you really need to power up one of your suits and you won't be able to because you've wasted it i mean granted you can you can grab it from your future self and like eventually you need to pay it back it's not like you know, by turn, like, and turn three, you have to pay this thing. Like, no, if you don't pay it back, you create essentially paradoxes, which are, which are not good for you. So you, you run the risk the further and further you go without paying it back. Yeah. So with anachrony, actually, let me do this with clinic first. Um, I, I put the BGG ratings on, on weight next to them. Yep. Um, so for clinic, uh, it's a 4.03, the deluxe edition. Damn. And I would have to agree with that, that it's, that it's pretty challenging. It's pretty heavy. I did liken it to a puzzle where you could play solo and get the same experience out of it, but people do get in your way sometime and take patients that you want and uh, buildings that you want before you can go there. So I think that's pretty apt. Anachrony, however, they put it as a 4.08, and I disagree with that. I think it's lighter than that, but I still think it falls under heavy. Yeah, I don't I think a 4 is a little high for that game. I think it's still like I would say it's high 3s cuz there's still quite yeah, yeah. a few moving pieces with it, especially with your main board like fitting it out with the different modules. I think they're called modules, I don't remember. But I think doing that stuff there's there's a lot to it. Yeah, I think what makes anachrony somewhat difficult is, you know, you can you can do things the entire game and pay back your loans and get resources and whatnot. And then you score like 42 points and the person that won scored 85. Yeah. You can really do poorly. Yes. Um, I think you have to play focused and on a, on a, on a tightrope where you do not have many resources left over. You are using everything you're making barely. And I think that's the best way to play this game. So yes, it is, it is still he- a heavy game, but I disagree with what BGG has it. I think it's a little lower than that. I think the entire package 
constitutes a heavy gain, but no particular piece is is something that I would point out. Be like, ooh, that's that's really heavy. The only time I would say it would rate that high as far as complexity is when you add every single expansion to it. Yeah, I, I tried to not consider that for the games that I put on this list because I think there are a few games that you add an expansion and it becomes a heavy game because of it. Yeah. Um, but I agree. Inaccurate with everything, with the um, fracture timeline, blah, blah, the blah. flux capacitors and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. There's a ton of stuff, yes. Travel back Especially to 1985, bro. You got to. Got to find Doc. Doc and Marty. <laughs> good pick. Thank you. I'm glad I'm batting a thousand. Yeah, you're good with me, man. Let's just, <laughs> you keep doing this. Oh, for two with Natasha, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, she doesn't, she's basic, so. she Yeah, like, that's all right. You don't need to, yeah. my. We'll, we'll play all 10 of these. Don't worry. I don't know. We could. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, your thing going to have a hard time. Getting her to commit to all ten of these. I mean, maybe over the course of the next couple of years, but yeah, playing heavy sure, games, sure. a lot of heavy games is hard. Sure. Four month in the next month, this is all we're playing. Mm-hmm. All right. So my uh, number eight heavy Euro game is Pipeline. I might be able to convince you to play this one, Natasha. Yes. You enjoyed Trailblazers and Curious Cargo. Uh, I liked that one a lot. And you like Curious Cargo? Okay. Yeah, Pipeline is the first game by the designer of those two that we just mentioned. In Pipeline, you are it's an economic game where you are trying to you're trying to produce different qualities of oil and fulfill contracts, earn money, etc. Economic game. If you've played economic games, this is pretty run of the mill in terms of how it works out. The clever part about this game is that you're actually designing the pipes that your oil is traveling through. So you're having this huge puzzle of three different colors in front of you and you're trying to weave everything to work perfectly but at the same time you have a heavy economic game around it so when we were talking about something being analysis paralysis i don't think pipeline is an analysis paralysis inducing game uh but the pipes in pipeline are so therefore even something like curious cargo absolutely breaks me in terms of my decision space and what i want to do and what i feel okay doing but again pipeline then adds an actual heavy economic euro on top of that uh pipeline is one of those games where you can um, stutter in the beginning and not make it out in the end you're going to end the game with less money than you started because you played poorly uh everything costs a lot and you don't earn that much money in return the weight to pipeline is 3.9, and I think this is one that I also disagree with, but in the other direction. I think pipeline is a much heavier game than 3.9. Hmm. Um, I wonder how much that's of your personal opinion about the, the, the piping and stuff. I mean, I should give the, the disclaimer that this is all personal opinion, but I think uh, uh, no, no, the no, pipes no. and pipeline it's, do it's, break. You're saying it on a podcast, so it's fact at this point. Sure, sure. Yep. So we all know, we know how that works. This sounds interesting. I really like the the route building, you know, tiling part of it. But also, like, I could just play Trailblazers and play like a simpler version of this, where I just get to do the the route lane instead of the heavy euro part of the game. You think the heavy euro part of the game is is worth it? Personally, um, I mean, yes, it's worth it. I do like the game, obviously. Uh, but if you're asking, if the question is, do I like Curious Cargo more? Yeah, I like Curious Cargo more because it really boils down in a mechanism that I enjoy and makes another enjoyable game around it, but takes away the heavy economic part. I think 
pipeline definitely has its place, but it's kind of two worlds mashed together and I'm okay with it being split apart. So I don't know how excited I am to play pipeline at any given moment. I might just play curious cargo if I'm wanting pipe part of pipeline, but I think the entire package is something that it does well. I remember playing this and it being a decent amount of stuff in a tight economic game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it is. It is very tight. You're spending twenty, thirty dollars on something when you start with forty. You have to take loans, that sort of thing. So for my number, what is that? Seven. This one is on the line of if it's a heavy game that we can talk about it. Uh, the game is Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. In Zolkin, I'm just going to say uh, you've got wheels and you put workers on them and they spin around. They're gears. So, they're like they're gears. I would. I think you need to define them as gears as opposed to wheels. Because wheels just spin spin, uh, sure, sure. spin freely, whereas this one wheel turns, every other wheel on there turns. And you have to... The problem with Zulkin is you have to know, when I turn this, this third gear over here is going to turn like this. And like as much as you watch it do that thing, you never <laughs> guess right. Or at least I don't. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think a big aspect of... And this is why I chose Zulkin to be a heavy game for me. Um, the weight on BGG is only a 3.67, but I think the reason it's heavy is because no other game does timing quite like this. It's yes. not literally, oh, I need to make sure I can get this on my turn. No, you're saying I need to be able to get this in four turns. I'm going to work with one less worker while this other worker just spins on this gear for the next 30 minutes. And then your plan comes to fruition. And if you mistime that or someone goes where you want, you can get all out of sorts and not actually be able to do what you needed to do. Yeah, because sometimes um, you can, sometimes the wheel will spin an additional time depending on like, I think it's harvests. Like, no, uh, yeah, people can force the wheel to spin yep. an additional time. Yeah, and that can screw with plans. That's why I like playing this game at two player. I can look at what another person needs and I can see their well-designed plans and I can say, I'm sorry, and then spin the wheel twice. <laughs> There, you, you. First of all, I'm going to stop you right there because I don't think I've ever heard you say "I'm sorry" when you've done that to a person. So, <laughs> Only in a two-player game. <laughs> then I feel bad. Yeah, you're doing it intentionally. He's not sorry. No, he's no, not, not sorry. sorry. It's like it's like it's of one of those I'm things that you're just like, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're not. Like, don't. Oh, don't I got even, in your way. Don't even do it. I didn't realize. Yeah. Oh man, did I just mess you up? Wah wah. That's not that's not how a dean approaches things. No, this game. The problem with this game is it is especially difficult for new players because it's hard to know how things are going to start like turning. And then, like you said, you have to plan for four turns away. So you have to say, all right, I'm putting this guy on here because I'm going to need corn in four turns. And then eventually it gets to that point. And you're like, all right, I'm going to get the corn I need to do these things. Well, a new player isn't thinking in terms of that. A new player is just trying to figure out what they're trying to do in this one round as opposed to planning out their next six or seven turns because they got workers on the different gears on the board. Yeah. I've played this game enough times at this point that when I start, I know probably the first 30 to 40% of my game because it takes that long to just even ramp up to be able to have the, let's say resource production or corn production or whatever production that you want to be able to have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one was on the cusp of medium to heavy. I chose heavy because you can do a lot and end with a little. I've played games of this where someone has ended with negative points 
<laughs> that sounds impossible. Yeah. But it is possible. You just do things. People get in your way. You can't. Oh, you have to feed your people in this game, by the way. Um, and it's very punishing that if you miss out on one food, you lose three points. So if someone spins that wheel twice and harvest is coming one turn earlier and you can't afford three of those, you lose nine points. One of the things that I don't think we mentioned in our overview of what classifies a heavy Euro game is when a an experienced player will completely decimate a brand new player in a game. And I'm yeah. not talking like, okay, you know, I know how to play Ticket to Ride better than you because I've played it more. No. Like a new person playing, you could have me play against a brand new person to play Ticket to Ride, and if they have a good game, they can beat me if I have a poor game. You know, like that's a that's a thing that can happen. But in a game like Zolkin, if you play with somebody that knows the game, there is zero chance you will win. There's zero chance you'll probably even do well because they will do something like turn that wheel twice and screw over the plans. Because you're not fact. It's hard to factor that in as a as a thing that can happen until it actually happens to you. Mm -hmm. And then you're just like, oh, well. I, I agree with that. I was originally, again, because I've played it so many times, I was going to put it on medium because I'm like, mm, there's nothing here that causes me difficulty when I play. But then I remembered those first five plays that I had of this and how lost I was. I, I need to give it the respect it deserves. I think it is a heavy game. I agree. Um, I agree with you. Even though... I've I've learned how to uh, turn those gears. At this point, I don't even think I want to play it because it just frustrates me every time I play it. I remember, I remember being there with this game. Yep. <laughs> well, so is that four for four? Yeah, so far, man, you're doing pretty good. I don't know, pipeline. Good. I want to play pipeline again. Sure. So for my number six, uh, it's Madeira. This one I haven't played in a very, very long time. Um, so it's up here, almost off of memory. So if it's my sixth place off of memory, that's pretty impressive in my opinion. So as far as giving an overview for Madeira goes, it might be a little difficult because I haven't played it in a long time. And this is one of those classic heavy Euros. Um, classic in the sense that I think this is immediately what jumps to people's mind when they think of heavy Euros. Lacerda's and something like Madeira. I'm not even going to try to give an overview of how to play the game or what the game is, is like. The thing that I remember still from this game, even, not have, even having not played it for four years at this point, is that throughout the game, you're given, I think, five or six opportunities to score points on, on tasks that you're given. And you have to score them all by the end of the game. Those are your only score uh, point scoring opportunities. Oof. So in round one, you're grabbing two things, one that you're going to score that round, and then another thing that you're going to score in round two. And there are no ways to trade these in for something else. You have to plan from round one for round two, and then in round two for round four. And the entire game is one interconnected mess of mechanisms in a good way uh, that just makes it extremely difficult to play. Yeah, I've never played this. It, it has the look of an ancient Euro, although it doesn't, it has some color. You know, I it see some, some I see some pastels in there. It's not that bad. Yeah, if you if you open up the box, if you get past the box cover, man, she's a beast. <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting for the Kickstarter for this one for I think three years now or four years now. Bro, Kickstarter is um, the worst. And that's why I haven't played this in three or four years, because I sold my copy when they announced the Kickstarter. 
and then they've been having problems ever since. So that sounds about hopefully right. I'll be able to play this this year again. Yeah, I don't know much about this game, so I can't tell you if it's a good pick or not. I'd play it though. It seems like a game I would play. A lot of people that I play heavy games with love this game. It's it's if you know what a Lacerda is, it feels very similar to a Lacerda in the sense that everything's interconnected. There are a lot of rules and it's punishing. It is the prototypical heavy euro. Yeah. And maybe a spoiler, but there are no Lacerdas in my list. Um, That's so surprising. I would have expected like. at least one, but and we could t- maybe we could talk about that later. But they're all great games, but almost heavy to a fault. Um, I don't think they're too heavy per se, but I don't get something out of it with that weight. Usually, there, there's a payoff. It's it's five hours long, but I really enjoyed the experience. Sure. Um, not to say they're bad games, like they're eights and nines. These are all just tens for me. Um, so it's kind of hard to compare. You could you could make a top 50 heavy games probably, Adin. Oh, yeah. I would them? just go through my top 50 games. Yeah, yeah just, take, <laughs> just take the whole list. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, with Madeira, they have that as 4.3 on BGG, and I think that's fair. Um, I, I think it's as heavy as it advertises, probably even heavier. Because it's it really is that punishing, and the players can get in your way, and it's a lot of rules, and it's interconnected. It's just everything we talked about before. It's pretty obvious how to score points because, like I said, you have to choose the things that score you points. But now doing that is extremely difficult anyway. So that's Madeira. Uh, for my number five, it's through the ages, a new story of civilization. Yeah, and this is also probably a, a typical pick for a heavy Euro game. This one lasts five, six hours with four players. You're going through three different eras. You're planning. You're strategically planning. You're tactically reacting. You're defending yourself. You're attacking. A million things are going on. For people that don't know, Through the Ages is a a civilization game. I almost called it a card game. It's not. You buy cards and you denote buildings with them, but it is not a card game. Mm, there's the main mechanic in the game is the cards, though. Yeah, but it's not in the same sense that. So, in through the ages, you have multiple types of cards. You have the building cards. You have uh, wonders, things that give you effects. But then you also have cards you can just play out of your hand. So there is some aspect of a traditional sort of card game, but it's much more about the civilization and worker management. I think is the hardest part in this game. Sure. Yeah. Um, you again have to feed your people. <laughs> this just is a classic way to make a game hard, a hard game harder. Um, just make me have to feed my people every once in a while. Yes. Um, but through the ages is is a phenomenal game. This is one of the games that actually got me into the hobby. Believe it or not, I think my my journey through the hobby was like Catan, and then some fantasy flight stuff like Arkham Horror, and then I bought Through the Ages. So I, I jumped into the deep end pretty quickly. Yeah, it sounds like it. Jeez. I don't think I've ever played the physical version. I think I've only ever played the app. I'm afraid to play the app because it might ruin the physical edition for me. Yeah, you can play it on the app so quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, minutes, you go through a game. I have played the app only as well. and um, but I And I did the tutorial and I played a few times. It just... I, I still don't get the game, and so it was. I think I think I'd have to, I have to give it a play in real life with real people, with somebody actually teaching it to me, to give it a fair shake. 
I don't know if you'd would though, because the it's a long game. It's what like four or five hours or something stupid. If we played three player, we could probably get it done in four hours. I think. Wow. And I mean, with with new players, and I'm rusty too, so like we're all going to take a while and not know how to play. So I think when I was playing this regularly, I was able to get a three player game down to like two and a half, two hours forty five minutes maybe, but that's still pretty long for yeah. professionals. Yeah. In the game. I just don't know if it's worth the time investment, you know, when you can you, you can play the app. But uh, this is a game that famously, at least famously to me, has in the rulebook a resign mechanism. Yes. You can fall behind so drastically and there is no chance and it is not fun. You can resign and the game allows you to do that because it recognizes that that can happen. Yep. I've done it in the app when I've played like the super mega bots or whatever. I've just been like, I'm too far behind. Yeah. yeah, I'll just resign. Yeah, and Through the Ages, a big facet of this, and it's actually easier in this new version, but uh, there's fighting and there's actual combat and there's actual war between players, and it's just ruthless. You can overwhelm someone that doesn't have the defense to be able to handle your military, and you just take things from them and gut their economy. It's, um, br- it's brutal. It is brutal. It is brutal. It's it's strange that I like it for having this amount of direct interaction, but I think it's fascinating. Um, it just feels like another resource that I have to take care of, my war resource. I don't know. I just have to have more than the other players is how I feel. Yes. Um, with that one, BGG says it's a 4.43. I wholeheartedly agree. It's probably the heaviest game on this list, except for maybe Madeira. Um, it's pretty heavy, yeah. It is extremely heavy. Uh, my number four game, and this surprised me when I ranked my games, is Cooper Island. Ooh. Um, Another capstone game. The Cooper Island is also a pretty generic worker placement game. You place workers, you collect things, you build your tableau of, of landscape and collect resources, trade them in for things. But this is a game that if other games give you four resources for something, this game gives you one. Or... If another game gives you 10 points or something, this game gives you one. And final scores are going to be in the 20s. All that to say that this game is just tight with what it gives you, what it allows you to do. Uh, I think the entire game is like, I think you have 10 actions or 12 actions or something like that, unless if you unlock more workers. It's just very limiting what you are able to do, and you have to stay focused or else you're going to just fall apart at some point in the mid-game. Yeah, this is one of those games that I've always wanted to play and I've seen a handful of times on like a consignment shelf and I've just haven't pulled the trigger on it. Like I'd rather play somebody's copy. It's crazy to me that this game doesn't get the um, respect it probably deserves. I don't know. You know, it's highly rated and people like it on BGG, but I don't see people playing it or talking about it. There's not an expansion coming. It's not like it's not like an evergreen, I think. Yeah, I've never heard of this game. I've never seen it or um, heard of it. I mean, it's by Capstone Games, at least in the States. It's Capstone put it out. So they've been making a lot of heavier Euro games. And like, yeah, it's been on my radar. And I've I've honestly just kind of been waiting for somebody to like bring it. Well, like I said, we're going to play all 10 of these at some point. So all right, man, done. Next Wednesday, get through all of them. Sure. (laughs) Unlikely. So Cooper Island, the weight that they listed at is uh, 4.17. I think it's a little lower than that, but it's pretty accurate. 
it, it's just a, it's just a really tight game and you only have a, a few workers with which to do things. Um, you really can't make mistakes, but it's great. So then my number three is Mombasa. Mombasa, we've had a lot of conversations in the game group about for various reasons. Um, I guess you could put Sky Mines on this list, but I probably won't uh, just because I like the beige of Mombasa much better. Um, <laughs> Mombasa is really a, a game that's a, a cluster of, of random mechanisms sort of thrown together, but I think it all works phenomenally well. Um, you have the card playing aspect. You have to play your cards into certain uh, piles on your board and how those cards are played affect how what cards you can pick up at, um, at the end of a round. So you really have to plan ahead in terms of, okay, I want to discard this card so that I can pick it up with this other card and have a great turn next turn. Um, but then it also does some area majority, and it's a pretty bland mechanism, but it works well here. But then the underrated part is the, uh, the stocks on the side of the board, yeah. where you actually have companies that you're investing not really investing in you're moving up a track basically and unlocking more powers or scoring more points or something like that but everything connects to create uh, such a interesting design that he's tried to replicate in other games but has never done so successfully in my opinion he being the designer uh, alexander fister there's an interesting like push and pull specifically with those stocks because you're going to score probably the vast majority of your points by owning shares in one of the companies that's like progressing out onto the board. So you'll see somebody pushing, you know, specifically one company quite a bit. So you kind of want to move up there, but so then they stop pushing it and it's, it's really interacting with the players and how they're pushing the different companies out onto the board. And there's times where you can set up and have a pretty huge turn where you just push a bunch of um, buildings onto the board, creating a ton of points, but no one's really been moving up that specific company just because nobody has the entire game. So you can set yourself up to have some decent moves in this game. Yeah, I like that you can piggyback off of other people's decisions to make yeah. a company more valuable. And then you realize, okay, I can, I'll get some points out of this. I don't mind. Thank you. Yep. Um, I think. My favorite part about the game is the book track. You have to try to play your cards correctly in order to be able to move past certain, I'll call them requirements. So a book on the book track will say like two bananas on it, and it'll give you two coins if you satisfy that. So if on that turn you play two bananas, two cards worth of bananas, or two bananas worth of cards, you're able to move past that point on the book track. But yeah. if you play it well and you get a book that requires two bananas, another one that requires three, and then another one that requires two, and you play three bananas, you can go past all three of them in one fell swoop. So if you play intelligently around that track, you can get a lot more value than a person that you know might be staggering different resources on this track. The other thing too is it's the timing of it because if you don't stop at, let's say the two bananas, but you skip all the way to the second two bananas or the three bananas, you pass up on the rewards for the other ones. So how far do you want to advance? Because you're going to get points off that track too. Yeah, it's an interesting, that's the hardest part to teach people, I think, is that track. Well, luckily they have the diamond track in that game, which is just play a card, receive diamonds, get points. Yeah, um, yeah. It's really funny that the two competing 
you know, you get a lot of points from doing the stocks and whatnot, but the two competing like other strategies are books and diamonds and diamonds is literally pick up a card, play a card, receive diamonds done. Whereas the book track is much, much more involved, even though they gave the same amount of points. I prefer sky mines over Mombasa. There's a little bit, there's the, the timing of which cards go where, when you move them to the top part of your player board to be gained later, that happens at the end. So you have a little bit more freedom. You have a little bit more knowledge as to how the board has changed throughout that turn. Doing it at the end of the turn as opposed to the beginning of the turn, I think frees up your choices a little bit, which I like. Um, and I also like the theme better. Sure, sure. I I agree that the theme in Sky Mines is, uh, is better. I don't think there's any disagreement with that. I do disagree, though, with the um, the card thing. A lot of people have told me that hey, Adine, it actually doesn't affect the game. You still get the result of moving your cards up and you have to worry about that. But like you said, the the board changes and then you have this choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really, really like in Mombasa that I have to look at my entire hand and be like, okay, I need to play these cards. I'm going to arrange them this way because next turn I want to pick up this stack and play those cards. Yep. And then you need to make that round sort of happen how you expected it to happen so that your choices at the beginning are still good choices. I remember when we reviewed this game, I think Natasha brought up how she didn't think it affected stuff that much. Or maybe somebody in the game group that we were playing, we were talking about it and they're like, yeah, it doesn't change it that much. And I agree with you. It, I think there's a lot, that simple rule change of making a decision at the end of the turn does a couple things. One, it, it doesn't bog the game down because you're not spending a bunch of time in the beginning trying to figure out what you want to do. You can do that towards the end after you've passed and other people are playing, so the game speeds up, which is good, but you do have more information. You do know which, you know, companies have advanced onto the board. You do know, you know, who's going for, you know, the different milestones or whatever. So you have a lot more information and you may end up picking a different packet of cards based on what people have done in that round. So I definitely think it changes the game enough that it, you know, that little rules change. I think I think overall for the game, it's a welcome change. I think a typical player wants a shorter game and doesn't feel the strategic impact of a change like that as much as someone like self might. Yeah. Um, but keep in mind this is one of my favorite games of all time. I've played it 15, 20 times. I that's part of the game that I look forward to, that little bit of extra challenge. Yeah, you're basically setting yourself up saying, this is what, like you said, I need to accomplish these things. Otherwise, my plan isn't going to work. And you need to make sure you accomplish those things. Uh, so Mombasa, they on BGG is a 3.9, and I think that's pretty accurate. I think it gets easier as you play, but still a pretty heavy game. Uh, my number two is I put two games because they're the same game to me, Gaia Project and Terra Mystica. Uh, we've been playing Guy Project in the in the group the past couple of weeks. I'm very happy to I'm very happy to participate in those, yeah. considering this is my second favorite game. But in Guy Project, you everyone has uh, species or races of creatures or something or other like that theme matters. Um, you're just taking control of spots on the board, and it's pretty much a, I, I want to call it an area control. It's more of like a civilization game. You're building out your buildings. You're trying to take control of land. Um, you're trying to terraform this land into habitable land for your people. 
ultimately that means change it to your color before you can place things on that spot. I think this is a great game. I don't think this game is as heavy as BGG says. They say 4.39 for Gaia Project, but I think that's way too high. I was thinking the same thing. I was just looking at it. That seems a lot higher than it should be. So Terra Mystica is 3.97, and if those two values were swapped, I think I'd be more okay. I think Terra Mystica is a heavier game because it's a bit more punishing. I think in Gaia Project, someone gets in your way and you're like, okay, I'll just spend an extra QIC and fly past them. Yeah. Guy Project gives you some outs and some decisions that makes the game a little bit less punishing. And I think that little bit less punishing takes away a lot of the weight in this game. I think a lot of the weight comes from having to time certain actions in certain spots. Um, the example I always bring up is you might in one round pass one turn earlier so that you can go earlier next round. Because the earlier you pass, the earlier you go in the next round. Um, and even though you might be able to get more income that round, you might pass early because an action that you need to take, you absolutely need to take it and make sure that you have the opportunity to take it is just something too big for you to be able to uh, pass up or ignore. There, this is a game where you can do a lot like on your board, you can put out all these buildings, but they're not necessarily going to earn you points. Like you have to be strategic about how you're actually earning points. Yeah, I think I think this is a game that the rules don't lend itself to a particularly heavy game, but when you choose a race and you see the board set up and you start thinking about what you need to do, it's kind of difficult to cater that race's powers and the board state to what's scoring in that round or at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. So in this game, the two main ways of scoring points or two of the main ways to score points are either end game conditions, which are worrying about how many things you build, how interconnected is your civilization, how many technologies have you upgraded, whatever the case may be. But the interesting part comes with uh, the round scoring, where if in this round you perform a certain action or get a certain something done, you receive points for it. Yep. So a player that built five houses in round one will get nothing, but I built my five houses in round two, I'll get 10 points. And this is randomized every game, so every game is different. And like I said, connecting your race to that round scoring and your power and the board state is just a puzzle that's extremely difficult to, uh, I think, play well. I think you can just play this game and do fine, but there's no way you're going to win. I think you can feel like you're doing something, but you're very much not. Yeah. Other people will be at 100 points in the middle of the game when you're still at 10, 15, 20, if you really don't focus on those points. I think one of the last games we played, the score was the you almost lapped our last player. Correct. Yeah. Felt pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> after go after being what third place the first time we played, it felt pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got you the first game. You got me the second game. We need to do a tiebreaker match. Okay. Best part about the ending of that game, Natasha just looks over and she goes, "Well, it was fun watching you two play." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the worry with these with these games is that you can notice someone doing well, and that's always well for me. I don't care. But I feel like for a lot of people, that's maybe demoralizing. I think people care. About... It, it happened with me in Power Grid, so I get it. Yeah, yeah. So for my number one, I wasn't going to do this, but it's my favorite game of all time, so I wanted to talk about it. My number one heavy game is Agricola. I feel like everyone at this point knows what Agricola is, but it's a quote-unquote farming simulator where you have to do a little bit of everything. It's 
the best way to explain it. It's a generic worker placement, go to a spot, get some resources. Um, but in order to do well, you need to feed your people often. You need to grow vegetables, grow grains, have cattle, have sheep, have pigs. Um, and if you don't have any of these things, you lose points at the end of the game. So it's not you fail to score. It actively hurts you not to be diversified in what you're doing in Agricola. Mm-hmm. This is one of those games, the first time you play, you're going to end up with like eight points. Oh, yeah. You're you're actually going to not get much done because it's it's a tightrope every time that I play. Um, and at this point, I think I played Agricola 40 times. So I, I understand how this works, but still I get caught in a situation where it's round seven or eight and my game hasn't started yet and the game only goes to 14 rounds. It really is impressive what it does with the low rule set, in my opinion. The rules ultimately are read the cards that you have or collect some resources. And besides that, it's feed your people, move on to the next round. And it's very simple, in my opinion. But there is no game that I think is tighter than this one. Um, you, If you want to go earlier in the next round, you have to take the turn order action. And you have to take the first player token the round before so that you can take the action that you need the round after. And I know it sounds silly, but that first player action is is not a good action. So you're really taking that thinking that one of my two actions this round is more valuable being spent on this for the action in the future that I need. Because if someone takes that, the rest of my game is ruined. And no other game does this as, as well. Your game could be ruined by someone taking first player and taking sheep that they're going to slaughter for food and you have nothing and you've lost right there. I agree. It's very punishing. I I like this game quite a bit, but for the opposite reasons that you like it. I like it despite it being punishing. And my preferred way of playing it is solo because I like the puzzly mm-hmm. aspect of it without having to worry about somebody coming in and taking all the wood that I need. I like to let their, let my wood collect. And then when I'm ready and I've got a ton of wood, then I go and get it. And nobody, I don't have to worry about anybody else coming in and scooping up what I want. I think it's valid to want that out of a game. And I think that's probably what he realized when he made Caverna or his follow-up games mm-hmm. where he wanted to let you... Well, there are two main differences between Caverna and Agricola that I don't really like. That makes me not like Caverna. It makes me like Agricola a lot. In Caverna, all of the buildings are on the board, so you can always play the same strategy if you want to. I mean, people can get in your way and that's fine, but uh, typically you're allowed to just do what you want and it's fine. But also, I don't think the game requires you to do everything in Caverna, if I remember correctly. Like, you can focus very heavily on making ruby mines and get the thing that scores for rubies and score 55 points for rubies, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it, it does require you to do everything. You will lose points, but you'll but oh, okay. your but the total spread of points you have is so much greater. So if you lose if you don't get sheep and you lose one point, that's negligible. Where in Agricola, like the scoring is so much smaller that that really matters. If you don't get that pasture filled in and you don't add sheep to there, now all of a sudden you're losing a couple points out of like you know maybe forty. Yeah, yeah. In a in a competitive four player game, it's going to be like. 40 points and if you're losing two out of 40 that's a big deal yeah that can lose you the game yeah and there another thing to point out in agricola there is a maximum number of points so you can't focus on a certain strategy you can't say i'm going to be the person that sells vegetables and have 40 vegetables at the end of the game and i think that's what you can do in caverna though yes where you can collect a bunch of one thing 
make it worth a lot of points and then things that you forgot to do it doesn't really uh, mean that much to you and your score right but like i said in caverna how you have all the buildings available in agricola there are no buildings they're just the action spots and the quote-unquote buildings are in your hand as cards to play so you're always going to have cards that are probably better than the actions on the board so that means that you are good at something so my cards might allow me to get sheep and cattle and build fences much more easily then that means that i have to focus my game on making sure that i take advantage of the actions on the board that give me all the other things that i need because i'm not good at those mm-hmm. um it's just such a fascinating puzzle to me and i think this is one game that just gets heavier the more that i play it because I, I know how to play it now, and I know exactly how tight it is. And I think that's just building on itself. I think the game is harder, and then it is harder, and then I think it's harder, and then it is harder. But a, but a ton of fun. Um, I think I have every single expansion released for this. I love this game. I have never played it. Fun fact. The like app I said, really we're good. playing all 10 of these. I, I recommend the app. It's a really good way to play it. I saw it, it was on Board Game Arena. Yeah, I don't know if I want to play it with you, Adine. Um Probably a good choice. Probably a good choice. I think you should play with maybe two or three other people that have also never played. It, I don't ever see it played anymore. It, it, yeah, I think since Caverna, like it, it's just kind of gone by the wayside. People like Feast for Odin, I think, the boat the most. Um, mm-hmm. They like the sandbox. I think people just like sandboxes. And I think this game provides a sandbox for being how, I don't know, the fact that you have to do everything to me is kind of more sandboxy than a game where you can do whatever you want. I don't know why. Um, I have to explore every corner of the map. I can't just go explore one corner and be like, well, it's a sandbox. I did what I wanted. Yeah, I love Agricola. The weight is a 3.64. I don't know what I would... I don't know what I think in relation to that. I think the rules are very light. They could be like a 3. But the game, if you're playing with sharks, is like a 5 out of 5 in terms of heaviness. Yeah, what to do when and... And I think you could say that for a lot of games, but I think Agricola stands out the most. That good players will block you and will take food from you and you will suffer. And uh, it's a great time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. You're just, man, sign me up for that. For some reason, this game, every time I think about playing it, I'm just like, mm, I don't know if I really want to. Because anyone I'm going to play it with is going to know the game really well. And I'm just going to get probably crushed. You could play it with me. I think I would I would be fine because I have played it a lot, but only solo. I mean, I've played it a few times, you know, competitively, but I'm not very good at it that way. Really good solo, though. I don't know. This is one of those games that, like, we often talk about, like, do you have to go back and play the old games? And for me, this is one of those games that I'm just like, no, I don't think so. Like, I don't know how much more fulfilled I would be by playing Agricola. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. I just it just does something for me. <laughs> it makes me feel some type of way. I, I I really can't explain it. I think I agree. If you were to play with me, you would lose 100%. Fine. The worry is that you would lose in such a way that you weren't having fun maybe the entire time. And that's what's scary yeah. about this game in my opinion. I think you can dawdle around in other games and be like, "Ooh, that was a fun mechanism like the Zolkin wheel. Oh, that was fun to mess around with even though I lost by a million points." In Agricola, the work it's just worker placement first come first serve get three wood to get one boar like it's the most dry most generic thing so you you might not even be having fun the entire time and there's nothing clever happening but you're getting uh your teeth kicked in for lack of better words 
<laughs> yeah. Facts. Really selling Facts. it. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to sell it. I'm really trying to explain what I get out of it because I don't think anyone else feels this with Agricola as much as I do. It's just really, it's just really interesting that you have to manage the cards with having to get everything in the game. And I think that's a, a satisfying yeah. puzzle. All right. Well, I think that is a great top 10 list of games. If you like to be punished, if you like to feel like you're an idiot, but then feel, you know, vastly superior when you figure it all out, that is a, a great list of, of 10 games that you can check out if you like to be punished while playing board games. I don't know. I actually, surprisingly enough, most of the games on his list I really liked. So you like heavy. You D. like a lot of heavy games. So I do. Yeah, I do. I like I like some heavy yeah. games, if, but I only like them if I put in the time to learn them. You know, I have got to play them at least four or five times, and then I'll enjoy the experience. And it's just it's hard to get to that point to play it. But if you like games that get that give you a lot of joy and give you a lot of things, like you probably aren't going to like this list. <laughs> No, I think the only game I could think of on this list that you could jump in maybe the first play and feel like you're doing fine is Anachrony. I think all the other ones, you'll be punished by not knowing what you're doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, well, check out this list if you like being punished and if you're looking for a challenge. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to Our Shenanigans. Join us next week. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. 